The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning once again. My name is Dave, the pastor here, and we are in the book of Exodus. We are in Exodus 25 today. Uh, and more than Exodus 25, we're going to be talking about 15-ish chapters today, kind of a, an a overview or a summary, if you will, of the tabernacle. That's what we're going to be talking about. So if you know a bunch about the tabernacle, maybe you should be up here. I've learned a lot this week, but just so you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a learner when it comes to the tabernacle. And you might be coming into the room today, never hearing a sermon ever on the tabernacle. And then I just can say I'm one week ahead of you. Okay, so um, I've learned a ton this week. I've really enjoyed it. And um, um, I got some pictures for us because it helped me as I was kind of studying and learning about this, this temporary sanctuary uh, that God had told his people to build as they were in the wilderness. Uh, we were in the book of Exodus where we find that Moses has been spending 40 days up on the mountain with God, up on Mount Sinai. Uh, this is after, if you're visiting with us, this is after the exodus of them leaving Egypt in slavery. They traveled for a while, a few months. They got to the base of the mountain. Moses is now up the mountain receiving commandments. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments here the last couple of months. And now um, God has given uh, Moses here at the end of the book of Exodus kind of the guide for what their, their temple, their sanctuary, their space of worship is going to be like. Exodus 25 through 40 is almost entirely about a right worship with God, God's expectations for his people to rightly be in relationship with him, what they would need, what the space would be like, how would the, the priests prepare themselves, what would their duties be, what items should they make to put inside uh, the uh, sanctuary space. And they're fascinating. And, and my hope today is that as we experience them together, you will be as interested and as uh, understanding of a God who's a genius in a lot of ways, but also he cares about the people. He's pursuing them. He's pursuing a relationship, and he, and he wants what's best for them. So my aim is that as we walk up to the tabernacle, which you haven't even seen a picture of it yet, but as we walk up to it, go from the gate all the way to the, the, the innermost space, of the tabernacle, which Joel revealed to us last week, was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. As we start from the gate and go all the way to the mercy seat today, my hope is that you'll, you'll walk with me and you'll enjoy this time together. So let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we go on this journey. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done. I thank you for the many things that were celebrated today as a congregation of how you are working, what you are doing, how we can rejoice in your great works. Father, we thank you for the gift of just this book of Exodus where we see you specifically interact with people in a very special way and the idea of order and care. But something also, Lord, that you, you had a plan with Jesus. You had a plan with the work of the Spirit and we can see that clearly. May we see it and may it motivate us today. It's in your name. Amen. 
So let's just read the beginning. We won't read a ton from Exodus today. I'll reference it a lot. But this was Exodus 25.1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution for every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution, that you shall receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twinned linen, goat's hair, tanned ram, skins, goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices and the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So this is the intro sentence to the next 15 chapters of Exodus. Make for me the structure, the sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So here's a picture. We're going to have a lot of pictures today, and it, it may be small, but I'll describe some things to you. We'll zoom in a little bit too as well. But this is the, this is the tabernacle. It, it's, it, it includes the fencing. You see a, a structure there, kind of a flat top tent. You see a structure there, but also the fencing also in a lot of ways when the Bible talks about the tabernacle area. This is, this is what it's talking about. And you picture this, you might wonder how, how big this is. And, and it's, it's about a, a quarter of a football field. So many of us watch football games. You know, you got the, the you know, goal line to the 25-yard line. Important things happen around that area, you know, in football. Like, that's the space. So it's about 150 feet by 75 feet. That's the space that this takes up. So you take four of them, you take down the fencing, you play a game of football. Like, that's pretty secular. But you know what I'm saying. It's like, that's how big this space is. And inside the space, God has deemed, this is the kind of space I want you to design and make to this very specific size. And um, I just, let's just start with a kind of overview the the the... the the different spaces have names. So if you go to the next slide there, we have, we have the courtyard, which is the outer part, right? There's a, there's a courtyard. I think the next slide might have some of these names on, I think. Yep. And then we have the holy place, which is the very first room inside the structure. The structure is called the tent of meetings, tent of meeting, and the, the holy place. And then the next space in is called the holy of holies, Okay. And I know there's a range of people in the room, some who've studied a lot of this, someone who's, who's read over the maps and your study Bibles and has connected some dots. But also there's people in the room who's like, I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> like, this is literally like, you know, the church plant on wheels. Like, let's go. Let's make a Jewish sanctuary, a church, you know, Jewish uh, temple in a box and drive from one place in the wilderness to the next. And when they get somewhere, when the cloud of God, Spirit stops, they set this up every time. Okay, so when you read Numbers and read some of the later uh, passages in, in, in the Torah, we find these kind of things being set up, made, there's problems. But hopefully today, as you, we do a little overview of what the tabernacle area and space is, when you read those passages or we study those passages, you'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the picture of the, like, the quarter football field thing with the little tent of meeting there and the two rooms inside the tent of meeting. 
inside these places, there's furniture or there's items in the courtyard. There's two key places we're going to talk about. There's the bronze altar and the bronze basin. You can maybe see that as you come in. And then inside the holy place, we're going to have uh, like the, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense. So three little places inside and the holy of holies. There's the Ark of the Covenant that Joel talked about. So two items, then three items, then the, the Ark of the Covenant there. So let's just begin with the courtyard. If you go back one slide for me. So in the courtyard, this space right here, what is, what is this about? This kind of like fenced area, this rectangular area um, that's the, you know, the court of the fo football field. It was, it was a space designed to separate the secular and the sacred. And you can see that God, in a way, when he's telling them what to build, he's like, this is going to be a special place because you're going to be in a desert and it's all going to look the same. But you're going to make a space that's actually fenced off. And in this space where the people could sacrifice, have worship and prayer, there would be this boundary to show what a holy God versus a unholy world would um, be separate from one another. And I just want to highlight one quick component to this is um, it's not very fire safety ready. There's one entrance. There's one gate. There's one way into this space. So as we go into the space, go to that next slide, that bronze altar slide that we were at. Yeah. So the bronze altar, this specific space, inside the tabernacle, as you walk through the gate, you come to this. Exodus passage says this, you shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. Okay, so a cubit is elbow to the tip of your finger, and I learned today that, that um, the elbow to the middle of my chest is also a cubit, and I think I'm a little bit symmetric, so, you know, I'm like a four-cubit tall guy and a four-cubit wide guy, so this is how they would measure things, uh, so if you're six foot, you probably would do these similar measurements. There's a lot of probably math about the human body that I don't even know about. But I learned that this week, that these word cubit, it's about a foot and a half. So math people are really care how big does this, this uh, altar, you know, how, how much room does it take up in the middle of this sanctuary? It's about seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, you know. A couple four by eight sheets of plywood. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's kind of what it is. But what's this space used for? Well, it's, it's an altar. It's, it's this idea of an animal being sacrificed. This idea that there's a need for a mediator between God and his people. There's this idea of sin that separates mankind and God. And there must be some sort of sacrifice. So I just want to share a second about the sacrificial system. We're going to go deep into this today because our focus today is on the overall tabernacle. But the sacrificial system was established by God for a means for um, people to acknowledge that they have sin, to acknowledge that there needs to be repentance, and we should demonstrate that in a lot of different ways. We should seek forgiveness to a holy God. So when you walked into this court, you walked through the one way that you came in, the, the very first thing you saw was this, this thing, this, this 
eight foot by eight foot thing in the middle of the space, right between the presence of God and you. There's something right there. So when an individual brought this animal to be sacrificed on the bronze altar, what they would do is they would, they would take their hand and they would put it on the head of the animal. In a way, say a prayer, may my sin go upon this animal. So then the animal would then be destroyed in a lot of ways, like on this altar. It would be a sacrifice. It would be a way for their sin to be punished so that human beings could keep living with a perfect God. But it was this transfer of sin. It was a significant idea that there's a substitute. There's a, a, some, something else is paying the penalty for wrong and disobeying God. There, there's a desire that I want to be with God, but I can't because I'm so sinful that there was this pattern of the sacrificial system. And each time we look at some of these components of the tabernacle, I want to point us to the New Testament and show us how these pieces, this idea points us to Jesus. Hebrews 13.10 says this, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood because he made his way to the altar. The altar in the New Testament is the what? It's the cross. It's, it's four cubits. The size of a man. The next section. We have the bronze basin. So after you pass, right? After you pass by this bronze altar, this place of death, where there's specific ways they would have to, to destroy or kill the animal and and, and sprinkle the blood as a symbol, all pointing to Jesus. You would then go, the priest would then go to this basin. This was a, um, a place where um, there would be cleansing. Exodus thirty seventeen says this, The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and feet. The act of washing we see in the Old Testament is this idea of being pure, being clean, or being present with God. God's clean, God's perfect. God has no dirt, no sin, no, no blood on his hands, if you will. There's an important part of these rituals that we find over and over again shared as you read the Old Testament of what the priest should do before they meet with God. So to approach God's presence, there's this purification that must happen. And it's, it's a reminder for us that there is dirt, there is sickness, there is grossness when it comes to our sin. 
I don't know if you guys have thought about that much this week, but I have as I've gotten to work through this passage and these passages in Exodus. There's this idea that I'm blind to my failings and how much it is in contrast to the beauty of a perfect God. And there's this sickness and dirt and messiness and and grossness that, that has to be washed away, if you will, that has to be reconciled with. And how do we do that in the New Testament? Well, on this side of the cross, we do this by faith in walking with and following Jesus. First John 1 John 1.7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We are washed by the faith that we have in Jesus. So as we're on our journey, we walk through the one gate, we go to the altar, they're dealing with our sin, then we go to the basin, and we recognize that this means this cleansing. And we know this cleansing happens through the work of Jesus. But then now we come to the, to the tent. So if you go to the next slide there, there's this tent of meeting. There's this structure inside the structure, a covered structure with these veils. And we're going to walk into the holy place. We're going to walk in that first room. This whole space is made of wooden frames, sockets, bases, connecting bars, pillars, curtains, tin coverings with multiple layers, goat hair. You can read all about it. It's a blast. Read all about it. Exodus 25, 40. If you want to make something at your house, a fort for your kids, there's one example. There's all kinds of stuff. It'd be a lot of work to find it all. But the beauty of it is we have a God of order who wants things a certain way, and we need to recognize that's who our God is. He's a God of order and expectation, and we should be obedient to what he is expecting. So this first space is called the holy place. It's the first chamber. Only the ordained priests could enter into this space. Not everybody could go inside the tent of meeting. There's multiple priests and people in the Old Testament that we find even in the New, even in Jesus' story, where priests were in these spaces of the temple or these people, these priests were in the spaces of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Like we need to recognize that this is part of our history as Christians because we've been adopted into this, this Jewish narrative that this space, this tent of meeting has important pieces in it that we should know about. And the first thing you come to, the first piece of furniture on the right is a table of showbread, right? It's also referenced in the Bible as the bread of the presence. Those are my guys who we did, we did uh, Monday Night Bible studies going through 1 Samuel. Remember David, he has, to, he has to get his guys, they go into the temple and there's, there's no food except we got the table of showbread. David's like, Bring it on. Let's eat, right? Like these, these things show up as we read, uh, our, read our Bible. So this, is, this table of showbread is designed in a very specific way. And I'm not going to go into the dimensions of the table itself. But, but we need to recognize it's not so much the furniture, but it's the things on the furniture that God wants us to focus on. It's not just the, the bronze altar. It's the sacrifice on the altar, it's not just the basin. It's the water and the action of water in the basin. So like the table of showbread, it's the showbread. It's these 12 
loaves of unleavened bread. It's, it represents the 12 tribes of Israel. It represents mankind in a lot of ways. And they were placed there each Sabbath, right? Each week that would be just renewed to remind that the men and women of God needed God's provision. And he keeps providing week after week after week for all of the people. It's, it's the presence of God and the provision of God together on this table. John 6.35 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We have a Jesus who has shown us that today he can fill us. That he provides daily through the work of Christ. So you have the table of showbread, this reminder of God's provision, his presence with the people. And to your left, you have this golden lampstand. There's a lot of uh, explanation about this lampstand. It's got seven lamps on it. And I want to just remind us, some of you guys may know some of the story in Revelation, but in Revelation 1, John has this vision, and he's seeing these seven lamps in heaven. In Revelation 4, there's these seven lights or seven torches around the altar of God, and he says it represents the Spirit of God. And I think these seven, this complete light for this tent of meeting, this completeness is representing the Spirit of God and had this oil in it, this ongoing oil that day and night the priest would have to go in and make sure there was this oil in these lamps to show the, the Spirit of God is active. There's a fire, there's a heat, there's a growth, there's a presence of God in the bread and a power of God in His Spirit. And let's not forget, it's the light source. There's a lot of layers on this tent. This is the light, continuous light. And what does Jesus say in John 8, 12? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ is this eternal flame. Christ is the giver of his spirit to the church to continue. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world to us. So that was the table of showbread. That was the, the lampstand, the golden lampstand. And, and right in front of you, before the veil that separates the holy place and the holy of holies is this altar of incense, the significance of prayer. It says this in Exodus 30. You shall put it in front of the veil. It's above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that's above the testimony. There I'll meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every, every morning when he dresses the lamps. That means putting the oil in the lamps, right? He shall burn it, burn the incense. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. More incense. And 
a regular incense of offering before the Lord throughout your generation. So you have, you have food in this room. You have the light in this room. You have the smell, the experience of this beautiful fragrance all around the room. And what do, we, what do we see in the Bible with incense? What's it representing as it is burnt and going up? It's, it's the prayers. So back in Revelation, back to Revelation for a second, Revelation 5.8, we find around the throne there's this, there's golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So when you pray, when we just prayed earlier, those are in a way filling up bowls. Bowls of the faithfulness of people wanting to interact with God, to rely on God, to recognize, as Joel shared with us today in our men's breakfast, that there is another battle being fought through prayers. It's a spiritual thing happening. And in heaven, for all eternity, they're being collected. So picture this room, this space, this incense, night and day as the, as the priest would throw uh, more and more incense on it. The room would be filled with the smell. It'd be, be filled with prayer. It was like this was a house of prayer. Which we know that's how Jesus describes the temple. So now we come to the Holy of Holies, the back room. This space was considered to be the dwelling place of the presence of God on earth. And as Jill taught us last week, the, the piece of furniture that resided in this space is actually two pieces. One's a lid and one's an ark or a chest. The ark contained the law, the Ten Commandments. In a space, the lid, if you will, was the mercy seat, the, the space where God resided. And the high priest would enter this once a year on the Day of Atonement, once a year, a man could enter into this back room to atone for the sins of all the people and to seek God's forgiveness and his mercy. But the first thing they saw was the veil. There's a veil there. There's a veil. The veil separated. The veil was much thicker and much more designed than some linen fence around the outside of the tabernacle. This was a thick veil to represent this great separation between the presence of God and humanity. It served as protection. Protection for God's holiness. So it was very considered, it was considered this, the most sacred space on the planet Earth at the time. The priests had to have Multiple levels of purification to enter into the space once a year. But what do we know about this veil today? What do we know? Matthew 27, 50 tells us this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. That's Jesus dying on the cross. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is the veil that was torn by God at the death of Jesus. So as we go inside the Holy of Holies, you know what we find? We find 
the Ark of the Covenant. Can you go to the next slide for me? The Ark of the Covenant. This is where they stored items, most specifically the law. The expectations of God. The very thing that separated what's clean and what's dirty. The law is what decides that. And as Joel so eloquently reminded us, what does God put on top of the law? Over the law? On authority of the law? He puts mercy, forgiveness. And that's where God lives. God resides in a space of mercy over the law. So how do we get here today? This is where I, how I want to close today. This is how I want to close. How do we get here today? So just, just maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you look up at the screen and look at the picture. How do we get here today? How do we get to the mercy seat of God, the presence of God? As just normal people in 2023, how do we get there? Well, first of all, we went through the gate, the door, the one way in. And soon as we went in, we saw that our sin, right there, the bronze altar, the sin, is right before us. But we find today Jesus on the altar. And in his resurrection, he reminds us that he has power over death, power over our sin. Death does not hold our king. Jesus was sacrificed for us on the altar. And we are reminded at the empty cross of the work that he has done. And as we pass by this great satisfaction for our sins, as he took our sins off us, put it on him, and he died for them and rose again in power, we go to the bronze basin. And what do we see there? We see that our sins, they're, they're washed away. We're cleansed and made pure. There's been this great exchange where we actually have received a cloak of righteousness where we have a white robe that Jesus bought for us that we do not deserve, but we get to walk with it in strength and power right into the tent of meeting, right into the space where God lives, this holy place, as he calls it. And we walk in, we see this table of showbread, this idea that they had to weekly replenish it. But now in the recognition of the work that Jesus has done, that it's replenished for us moment by moment. He provides for us every day. And we can see to our left this golden lampstand this oil that had to kind of be filled by a person regularly. Now, if you take the, the, the vision of Zechariah, there's, there's literally trees that transport oil to the lampstand. That's Jesus. The Spirit of God is active and here and present to give you fire, heat, power. You are the light of the world. And then before us, we see this altar of incense, this idea that our prayers are being collected in heaven. And, and what used to be a barrier is now a torn veil where our prayers 
We walk right through into the Holy of Holies. And there's the presence of God, not in judgment, but welcoming us with open arms and desires a relationship with us. But everything I just shared, who did all the work? Jesus. We just walked in and got to experience and put our faith in what Jesus has already done. And you might be this morning going, that's too easy. And my desire for you is to answer the question, are you willing to humbly give your life to him every day of your life? My hope is yes, that you will take the steps, that you will want to walk and be with God. But you'll remember, it's not your good works that got you there. You walk by the altar, you go, Jesus, thank you. You walk by the basin, Jesus, thank you. The table, the lamp, the incense, the prayers. Jesus, thank you for praying on my behalf. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the kind of Jesus we worship. We're about to go to communion together. And my hope for you is when we take communion Maybe as you take steps, you'll recognize all the things that Jesus has done so that you can take communion. And he's been telling this story for thousands of years. One last thing I'd like to say. In Hebrews 9, we learn that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one who made it happen. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. He is the one who paid the penalty for us. And Jesus is the new tabernacle. He is the one that we walk through to get to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this seemingly overly ritualistic season that humans had to do to kind of get close to you. But I thank you for it because as we learn more about who you are and how you are a God of time, that you, you see us now today as you were giving those commands to Moses on the mountain. You see us today knowing that we need this. We need to be reminded that our sin is gross. And we need to repent and turn to you and be so thankful for the work that you have done on our behalf. Be with us now as we go to the table. Bring to our minds areas that we have not recognized as against your will. And may we apologize. May we feel sorrow. May we repent and begin to make steps to live differently. And Father, as we recognize that as you sent Jesus so that we can be the light of the world, may you send us out. May we not take any conversation or relationship for granted. That everybody that knows us may know you. 
It's in your name. Amen.